Let's uh, commit our time of study in God's word to him in prayer. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this powerful little letter of James. We appreciate you having inspired him to write the things that he has written to us. We like his direct style of communicating your truth in a way that we can easily understand and not ignore, yet able to apply what he teaches to us in our daily lives. We are thankful also for giving us your Holy Spirit to empower our feeble attempts to live holy and committed lives to you. Please continue to pour out your grace on each one of us as we come now to meditate on your word. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these opportunities I have to to speak to you, we've been working our way through the commands that are found in the book of James. And I've been sharing with you symbols and questions to help summarise those commands. Let me give you a quick review of the symbols and the questions that we've done so far. The letter C stands for command. The question is, is there a command I need to obey? It's one thing to notice a command. To obey, of course, is the next step. The letter P stands for promise. Is there a promise I can believe and apply to my life? The letters S2C stand for a sin to confess. Is there a sin I need to confess? The letter R stands for repent. Is there something I need to repent of? In other words, change something in my life. The letters PR stand for prayer. Is there teaching about prayer that I can learn from and I can pray? The letter I stands for illustration. Is there an illustration I can learn from? The letter E stands for example. Is there an example that I can learn from and practice in my life? And the letter B stands for beware. Is there some action or attitude that is bad, dangerous or sinful that I need to avoid? So in our study today I'd like to introduce a few more symbols and questions for you. Firstly, the letters T-A-G stand for what does this passage teach me about God? This is probably the most important of all the symbols that I've shared with you. We need to get our understanding of God right and we need to get it based on what God's word says. The second symbols are the letters T-A-J. What does this passage teach me about Jesus? He has to be the most important character in the Bible, doesn't he? And we need to get our understanding of who Jesus is right. We need to get it according to the scriptures. And then thirdly, the letters T-H-S. What does this passage teach about the Holy Spirit? So as we work our way through our Bible readings, look for these symbols, look for these questions, ask these questions. Is there anything in this passage about God, Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the other symbols that I've used with you? In Matthew 18:19, as part of the Great Commission, Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples. What better way to ensure that we are not deceived and that we can become disciples is to get, 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 make sure that our teaching is sound, that is based in the scriptures, that we have this anchor to keep the soul that's found in scripture. We need to find out what Jesus taught his disciples. As a church, we need to be not half-hearted or easily led. Uh, we need to not be wishy-washy. Uh, don't just give in to this, it's all about love and feeling kind of church or belief systems. We need to not cave in to the first sign of opposition and hardship that comes into our lives. We actually need more disciples in the church today. 
We're all making disciples by the way we live, by what we say and how we share our lives with other people. Discipleship, discipline is something that's required of all of us if we're to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're going to avoid error and avoid being deceived by false teaching. So let's look at command number nine that's found in the book of James. Command number nine that's found in James 1 verse 16. Very simple verse, the shortest verse in the book of James. Do not be deceived or don't be deceived my dear brothers. The words be deceived is in the Greek imperative tense. So it's not just an ordinary command, it's a command with great stress and importance. The Greek word means to wander or to stray from the truth. The Vines Expository Dictionary gives us a good definition. It says this. Uh, the word means that which gives a false impression, whether by appearance, statement or influence. Being deceived by false teaching or a false teacher is an ever-present danger that we face. We need to put the letter B for beware next to this verse, along with the C, of course, for command. James repeats this warning twice more in verse 22 of chapter 1 and also verse 26. So it must be very important to him. Maybe it's one of the main reasons why he wrote this letter. He didn't want the early Christians to be deceived. Most theologians believe James was the first New Testament book to be written very early, maybe 40, 45 uh, AD. And so even back then, in that early stage, Christians were in danger of being deceived by error. James puts this danger of being deceived in another way in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, he says, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So James is emphasising this even by the end of his, his letter. But he uses two expressions in these verses. He uses the expression of wandering away from what is true and living a life based on error. Two things we need to avoid. We have a duty to keep ourselves from being deceived and wandering away from the truth. We also have our God-given task of trying to help our fellow believers and unbelievers even not to wander away from the truth of Scripture. We also have the God-given duty to lovingly bring people back to the truth who might have wandered off into deception or error and we need to seek to bring them back to what the Bible teaches that they might repent and submit themselves to the Bible and of course to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have been deceived you need to put the letter R for repent next to this verse. The reward of our labour in avoiding avoiding deception is found in verse 20 of that verse on the screen. Seeing people who are wandering, folks who are wandering away from the truth and facing eternal death to be set free from that burden, from the burden of their sins that's covering over a multitude of sins. This, of course, we are told in Scripture causes much rejoicing not only on earth but also in heaven. Being deceived means believing something that is not true, believing a lie, following some kind of error or holding to some false doctrine. You are currently, I mean, sorry, try that again, are you currently being deceived by some false teaching? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are you guarding against deception? 
Satan is very clever and may use very subtle means to lead you away from the truth, like false impressions or influence of a gifted person or even a respected person and even emotional manipulation. Deceptions can be quite minor or they can be of great importance, with the latter case resulting in being deceived about who Jesus is, which results in eternal damnation. The best way to guard against being deceived is to prayerfully study the Bible. Stay with the word of God. Stay in fellowship with God's people and obey God's word. Any teaching that contradicts what the Bible teaches about nature, the nature and the character of God and the Lord Jesus is sure to be wrong and deceitful. It's also helpful to read good books, to share your thoughts and understanding with other mature believers and to appropriate guidance and teaching that we get from good books and from other Christians. The Apostle Paul was also concerned that God's people are not deceived. Galatians 6-7 he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So you need to put a C for command next to this verse as well. And a B for beware. And also T-A-G which stands for teaching about God. Someone was listening. That's good. Or reading, watching. So why does this teach us about God? Well it teaches a God that cannot be mocked. He will have the last word. We might mock him now in human terms but certainly in eternity he will not be mocked because he is holy. So you can also put a P for promise next to this verse. Do you see the promise in it? It's not altogether a positive promise, is it? (laughs) We reap what we will sow. What we sow we will reap. It's amazing that you can discover what you can discover in the Bible when you look carefully at it and when you ask the right questions. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. We all, I think, experience that, that sort of the world criticising us and calling us simple or deceived but in fact they're the ones who are deceived so you can put a C next to this verse as well it's a command and also the letter W you might remember stands for wisdom it gives us teaching about wisdom Paul is warning us about the world's wisdom so put a letter B for beware next to this verse as well so you see how much teaching there is in a verse when you just ask the right questions my own testimony of my early Christian experience is a good example of how God can actually use false teachers to bring people to the truth of the gospel. I grew up in the Anglican church and was christened and baptised, confirmed, and I regularly attended Sunday school and then later, after I was confirmed, I used to attend church regularly. But I have to say that the belief I had I was more religious than I was Christian. It was in my head but never got down to my heart. Being the early 60s when I was a teenager, some of you can't remember back that far, but I used to love listening to rock and roll. Back in those days, in the mid-60s, transistor radios were developed so you could actually take your music with you everywhere you went. I had one of those transistor sixes that were about this big I had on a strap and used to wear it around my neck so that when I was riding my push bike, I could listen to rock and roll. The, play, the stations that played rock and roll were in Melbourne, and I lived in Tasmania, but right up the north. 
So I could listen to 3UZ, I think it was, was the station, to my rock and roll programs. But the batteries in the transistor radio used to wear out fairly quickly. And when the batteries got down, I couldn't pick up the rock and roll station, so I had to listen to the local radio. Some of you might listen to local radio. And, of course, they have a lot of these religious programs on. In fact, they had four or five, one after each other. So I'd ride along, and when they started to play those religious programs, I'd turn it off and say, Bible bashers. But eventually I thought, so quiet. In Tasmania, it's always quiet. There's, you know, there's not many people around, not much traffic. And so I thought, well, better listen to that than listen to nothing. So I turned it back on and started listening to some of these Christian programs. There were a couple there that I really enjoyed, and so I wrote to one of these programs and said, why don't you join forces with this other group, where the other program, and you'd be able to do much better work. Being 16, you know, I was pretty wise, and I could really advise people what they should do. Well, they wrote back to me and said, well, we don't join with those other people because we believe they are teaching error. They're a false cult. I thought, oh, that's surprising. So I wrote back and said, well, if you can show me where their teaching is false, I'd like to know. They did. And I was a bit shocked. And then later I found out that even the program, the first program, were also from a false teaching group. Eventually I came into contact with a Bible-leading church pastor through one of my fellow workmates who took me to the Bible and answered all my questions and got me on the right track. So it's amazing God can even use false teachers to bring people to himself. The Apostle Paul also reminds us that we need to watch out for false teachers, those who seek to deceive God's people by mixing a little bit of truth with deception. Remember, it's not all error. There's usually just enough in there to get you off the track. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. The Bible's really up to date, isn't it? It might be 2,000 years old when Peter said this, but it's so true of what happens in so many places in our modern world. One of the schools that the military teach their soldiers, and I went through this as well, was what we used to call compass or map reading. It's quite a difficult task to master. Well, I found it difficult anyway, especially at night when the moon hasn't come up yet. So you had to at least know where you were starting. Know where you were starting, get your bearings right so you know which way is north, and then the other ones fall into place automatically. If you get your bearings wrong, it won't be very long before you find yourself being lost. You'll fail to meet up with your fellow soldiers and you could even end up in enemy territory. And that's what can happen to us. We've only got to be a little bit off course and we can end up in a dangerous situation. Spiritually speaking, if you allow yourself to be deceived by this by Satan, you will find yourself very confused. Getting a correct understanding of who God is and what the Bible teaches is vitally important. Looking for teaching about God is foundation is foundational to, being not, to not being deceived. 
you find most teaching is either wrong about who God is or who Jesus is. That's where the errors start to creep in. Be sure that you accept and believe what the Bible teaches, otherwise you could end up worshipping the wrong God. Are you guarding against false teaching and false prophets? The best way you can do that is to study the Bible. Have you wandered from the truth? Maybe just a little bit. Are you disciplined in studying the truth so that you recognise error when you hear it or see it? Have you ever been deceived like I was? Maybe you need to change your thinking, that is, repent, reject wrong teaching about sin and temptation and get right with God. Have you ever prayerfully considered asking another mature believer to disciple you, to teach you, to be your mentor? Let's look at command number 10 in the book of James, found in chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. The words take note are in the imperative tense in the Greek, although some commentators argue about that. Don't worry about their discussions. These words mean, the words take note mean to know, to understand, comprehend and to remember. These words also convey this idea that what is to follow is very important and should be carefully noted and even written down maybe on a notepad or somewhere like that, certainly remembered. Jesus was in the habit of saying, truly, truly, if you like the King James Version, or verily, verily, uh, to draw attention to important statements that he was about to make. The Apostle Paul had a similar habit. He often said, a statement, this is a trustworthy statement or a trustworthy saying to emphasise the truth that's about to follow needs to be carefully noted. The word everyone is important. See the word everyone in the second part of the sentence. George Stulak, a commentator, says it means this. It should be conveyed in exposition of this passage that all this instruction is important, that it is for each individual reader that it is for each reader personally to put into practice. The tone at the beginning of this passage is because you are very dear to me. I am urging you all, be sure to do these things. This command from James is motivated by love. He is speaking as their shepherd and as their pastor. He's concerned for them. The word quick is an interesting word. It means to be swift or speedy, to be enthusiastic to hear God's word. To listen is good, but being quick to listen is even better. Are you quick to listen and quick or quick to forget God's word? What is it that James is saying we should be taking note of and to remember? He lists three things. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak and be slow to get angry. Every one of us need to obey these commands, don't we? Every one of us has disobeyed them maybe even already today, certainly in the last week. When we realise that the main theme of the passage in James that we're looking at so far has been believers facing trials and trouble, we can see how these instructions go against or counter to our natural response of not listening, not saying things we should not say and getting angry. Being slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to anger are are the actions that we need to take Make sure you do them. Let's now focus on being good listeners. Do you work at being a good listener? My mum used to say to me when I was young, when she had instructions to give me, 
She would put her hands on my shoulders and say, look at me, are you listening, Teddy? I got called Teddy until I grew a bit older. I used to say the same things to my kids. Do you say them? Have you said them to your kids? And your... Now I'm saying it to grandkids. Some children like me have trouble remembering more than one instruction at a time. My mother used to wait until I looked at her, you know, not doing this when I'm getting instructions. If you're a teacher, you know all about this as well. Many adults, in fact, have this same problem. I had a man who used to work hard to me who had this problem and uh, I got to the point where I would repeat my instructions and it didn't work, so then I wrote the instructions, this is what you do, first job, second job, third job, and uh, that didn't always work either. He'd lose the piece of paper or come back before he'd done the jobs. Some of you are a bit like that too. Maybe you're a bit of a slow learner and you need to remind yourself. Uh, Those of us, of course, who are getting older have a slightly different problem. We can't remember quite why we went into the kitchen, but it must have been a good reason. Um, So, yeah, write it down. I find now that I've got to, uh, if I'm halfway through something and I remember something else I have to do, I've got to stop and do it then because if I finish what I'm doing, for the life of me, I can't remember what that other thought was that came into my head. Well, we need to be good listeners and that might mean taking notes, writing things down. I carry a post-it note. See, this is how bad I am. I pull it out. You know what post-it notes are? I can't get it out of my pocket, but it's a little sticky and you can write things on it. So if I don't write it down or write it in my diary, I'm in trouble. James uses the word listen six times altogether in his letter. So it's one of the major themes in his book. James 1.18 and 20 says this, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So those who are born again, that is true believers, have listened to God's word, the word of truth. They have been saved by doing so and are now hungry to hear more of God's word. Being a good listener to God's word, slow to speak or teach God's word and slow to become angry with what God's word says are good examples for us to follow. So we can write the symbol E next to this verse. This is an example that we can follow. Notice also here there is teaching about God. Tag. What does this verse teach about God? Well, it is him who gives new birth. You see that? That's God's work. He does that via his word, the Bible. So do you see that this verse clearly teaches us about God and what he does? James also here warns us to get rid of moral filth and the evil that is prevalent in our life. So we need therefore to obey that command and even write an R for repent if we haven't obeyed it. And if you're in danger of disobeying it, then a B for beware. We need to learn how to be good listeners, both to the word of God and to those who teach it, and of course to people in general. I wonder how many church splits could have been prevented if disagreements when they had arisen that these three instructions were followed how many disagreements in your families how many problems, difficulties in relating to each other could have been solved if we're just simply being good listeners and use that to bring about healing when we're angry we have great difficulty listening to others' point of view why? because we're so busy working out our next angry outburst you're not listening 
we're angry. Now anger, I'm sure we can all identify with this, is the main cause of us saying things we should not have said. Anybody disagree with that? (laughs) You can't. We know by experience of life, don't we? Anger causes us great regret later when you can't take those words back. James 1.20 says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Amen to that. I think we've all experienced that. On the other hand, being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to be angry will often result in righteous living. So what does this teach us about God? God desires us to live righteous, holy lives. So we can write tag next to James 1.20 as well. Are you taking careful note of what God says to you in his word? Are you careful to hear and obey God's word? Are you swift, that is speedy and even enthusiastic to listen to God's word? Are you slow to listen and respond to God's word? Are you quick to forget what God says? It takes effort and discipline to hear and understand God's word. Does that describe you? Someone who puts effort into their faith? Do you need to put an R for repent next to this verse? Or maybe even S2C, sin to confess. I think we are all guilty, aren't we? Of being slow to speak, quick to hear, and quick to slow to become angry. Command number 11 in James is chapter 1, verse 19, same verse we've looked at. The second part says, My dear brothers, take notice this. Everyone should be slow to speak. The words everyone should be slow to speak are not in the imperative, but they are the subject of the command to take note. This is another very good example for us to follow. So write the symbol E next to this part of the verse as well. As we were seeing just above, uh, just beforehand, the context which James is speaking of is trials that Christians are facing and the regenerating power of the word of God, as we saw in verses 18 and 21. James is instructing his readers and us not to rush into speaking or teaching God's word. God's word is holy and must be handled carefully and understood correctly before we pass it on to others. Otherwise we're in danger of spreading error. James returns to this subject in chapter 3 verse 1 and following when he discusses the stricter accountability or judgment for those who speak God's word and and the need for them to be wise and able to control what they say. James talks about this extensively in chapter 3 saying that people should not be leaders if they aren't able to control what they say, if they can't control their anger and are slow to speak. James, of course, I think has the teaching of Jesus in mind. Matthew 12, 36-37, Jesus says this, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We can put a symbol T-A-J next to this verse. What does it teach us about Jesus? Jesus believes in judgment day. Yes, he teaches that we are accountable for every word we use. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? John MacArthur says this, Some believers in the church to whom James wrote were accustomed to saying and teaching whatever happened to come into their minds without giving it careful thought or checking it against scripture. It's a danger, isn't it? Some people say in some churches that pastors should not prepare sermons 
They should just respond to the Spirit's leading, they call it, which often boils down to impressions or emotional feelings, which sadly and often lead to bad teaching and repetition of their favourite subjects, themes, and sometimes resulting in just plain heresy. We often have our favourite subjects, don't we? We were out for dinner last night and the people that sat with us uh, were keen rugby league supporters. And, uh, we were in a club so there was a screen up with the, the match on between whoever and whoever it was. And it's amazing if you don't prepare and focus, you'll talk about whatever your favourite subject is. It might be Valiance or Chrysler Royals. It might be the football or it might be cricket whatever it might be. So it's important for pastors too to prepare carefully otherwise you end up on your hobby horse like someone who always preaches on the book of James. Another danger isn't it? So we need to prepare. We need to check that our ideas are what the scripture says. Some interesting verses in Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, 1 to 3, says this. The words of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. We can certainly put a B next to that verse, can't we? B for beware. But also I think this verse uh, in James is sort of more, has a more general application to everyday life as well. Being slow to speak as well as, is a well-known concept, not only in James's day, but right back into the Old Testament and probably before then. A couple of verses to verify this. Proverbs, sorry, Psalm first of all. Psalm 5 verse 9 says, Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Proverbs 13.3 He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 10.19 When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So good, good sound teaching that goes back a long way. We can go through those verses and put some B's next to there, beware, and maybe even S2C's, sins to confess, if we've been guilty of committing some of those errors in disobedience. Some people just talk too much. Do you talk too much? Some people don't talk enough. You can't get a word out of them. But many people, of course, are too quick to speak their mind, to say what they are thinking. Abraham Lincoln made this very wise statement. Better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. <laughs> so sometimes it's good to speak slow or to be slow about speaking. Is this a sin you need to confess? Pilgrim's Progress uh, is a wonderful book. Uh, for many years, the Pilgrim's Progress was the second most published and read book in the world, second only to the Bible. And uh, in that book... Uh, John Bunyan talks about Mr Talkative. The main character of the book, of course, is Christian, who's travelling on his way to the terrestrial city, to, to heaven. One of his companions was Mr Faithful. Mr Faithful gives an insight about Mr Talkative. It's self-descriptive, isn't it, Mr Talkative? Yeah. This is what he says about Mr Talkative. 
Religion has no place in his heart or house or conversation. All he, all he hath lieth in his tongue. His religion is to make a noise therewith. He talketh of prayer, of repentance, of faith and of the new birth, but he knows only to talk about them. Insightful, isn't it? So they're words that haven't got into the heart. It's better to think carefully before we speak and often, in so doing, we need to choose not to speak at all. Sometimes we should just shut up. Someone has said God gave us two ears but only one mouth so we should listen twice as much as we speak. Good advice, isn't it? It is true that speaking about what we are thinking helps us to understand the subject better but it's also true that we actually learn more by listening than we do by talking. When I was in the Australian Army we sometimes uh, wanted to argue with our superiors when they gave us uh, commands and instructions and uh, particularly those ones that we thought were stupid which was fairly often and the answer would always come back that's not a request, it's an order, soldier. Or, who said this was a discussion? Do as you're told and do it now. Sometimes we need to act, don't we? Or the old favourite, you don't have to think, you just have to obey. And sometimes we need to do that. Stop talking and just obey. Are you obeying this command we find in James? All these commands, really. Do you tend to say whatever comes into your head? Do you talk too much? Are you guarding your lips? Do you carefully prepare before you teach others about what the Bible says? Command number 12. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be slow to become angry. The words everyone should be slow to become angry are not in the imperative tense but they are the subject of the command take note of this. This lifestyle, this style of life where we want to be a good example to others is very important. We need to put here E, for example, to follow. We need to be slow to become angry. We need to control our anger. Notice it does not say everyone else needs to be slow to become angry and not me. The word anger can be translated as wrath, rage or furious. It is a state in which one's emotions are often out of control. Some people actually get angry at the truths found in God's word which fits the context of what James is talking about. He's speaking about the power of God's word to bring new birth. This anger may be caused by feelings of guilt or even conviction of sin from what the Bible is saying. Mankind does not like to be told what to do or what not to do and so we lash out in anger. George Stulich in his commentary says, James recognises what trials do to us. They stir our fear, self-pity, envy, confusion and especially anger. So just as we blame others when we fail in times of testing, we give in to tempt- and when we give in to de- temptation, we also tend to blame others or our circumstances when we become angry. If you ever said, I'm angry because of what you said or what you did. So it's somebody else's causing to become anger. But anger is a choice that we make. Unfortunately, many of us have programmed angry reactions into our psyche. Whenever someone says that, I get angry. Well, I get really angry when people cut me off in the traffic. So as soon as it happens, the immediate response is anger because you've programmed that in. We need to unprogram those angry responses in our life. Tim Challies says this, when we sin in anger, 
we tend to resolve ourselves or blame by pleading the circumstances around our anger. So James goes on in verse 20 to remind us that our anger does not produce the righteous or holy living that God requires of us. And in verse 21 he says those words, get rid of it. Get rid of these various sins that have come into our life, including the sin of anger. James returns to the subject of anger in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. While he does not use the word anger, he certainly speaks of its fruit, things like fights, quarrels, killing and coveting. This picture presented in chapter 4 is quite the opposite of the righteous life that God requires of us. As we read his word, we see how we should act. The Jews and the other religious people often reacted to the proclamation of the truth with violent anger. The Lord Jesus experienced this kind of response. John 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, Jesus said, keep in mind that it hates me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the word... The words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. These outbursts of anger to the truth of God's word is probably no better place demonstrated than in social media. What people say on TikTok and uh, Facebook and these other... People just come out with it and say it. It's just unbelievable if you say anything about what the Bible teaches about morals and ethics, you'll generally get an avalanche of responses of anger. So we need to beware of this kind of uh, reaction that may come to us as we share our faith, as we stand up for what we believe. So we also have here teaching about Jesus in this verse in John 15. Jesus was persecuted and he says we will be persecuted. Also in John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. There are other verses we could do as well that talk about that. Jesus was persecuted, we too will be persecuted. There is of course such a thing as righteous anger, demonstrated by God and Jesus, and sometimes by us, but it's pretty rare. But this is not what James is talking about in this passage. He's talking about unrighteous anger. And even righteous anger needs to be exercised carefully, slowly, James says, with careful thought as to how we express our righteous anger and when we express it as well. Timing is very important. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger gives Satan a foothold in your life. The devil loves to get people angry because it makes people easy to manipulate and mostly leads to sin. Colossians 3.8 But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Mature people are those who keep their feelings in check. Are you in control of your emotions? Uncontrolled violent anger is evidence of an unregenerate heart and has no place in the life of the followers of the Lord Jesus. While there is a place for righteous anger, even God himself expresses holy anger, but our anger is only righteous when we get angry 
than what makes God angry. Even so, righteous anger, judgment and revenge belong with God alone. Are you filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or are you ever responding with anger to what goes on around about you? Have you ever responded to the truth of God's word with anger? Do you reject what God says? Do you expect some people to react to your sharing the gospel with them with anger? This can certainly happen. Are you careful to avoid becoming angry without due cause? Are you careful not to give the devil a foothold in your life and in your church? Being slow to become angry is a good thing. So place the letter E, for example, to follow next to this verse. And if you are guilty, and I guess we all are, then we need to put S2C and R for repentance next to this verse as well. Let me lead you in a closing prayer. Again, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this challenging letter of James. We confess that in the past we have been deceived by wrong teaching, wrong thinking, wrong conduct, wrong attitude and even wrong words. We ask that you forgive us for the times when we have had uncontrolled outbursts of anger. Please forgive us for the many times that we've hurt other people. Please help us to be those who are quick to respond to and obey your word. Please forgive us and empower us to hold back unkind words uh, that cause so much hurt and pain of those around about us and also brings disrespect to you and your holiness. We thank you for the reminder that we'll have to give account for every word we use when Jesus comes back to judge the world. We are thankful for the promise that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just and will forgive and cleanse us for our Lord Jesus' sake in whose name we come now. Amen.